0: This is the IDP After Show.
1: Where should you be drafting your IDPs in your Superflex rookie draft? Today I am joined by Jace Abbey, Jake Colhagen, Jeff Parmazal, also known as Boo Bam, Eric Harms, and Aaron Evers. Today we are going to be doing a Four round IDP Superflex combined rookie draft. Each of us have two picks per round, and we're just going to alternate player by player and talk about who we picked in what order and why we took them. And with the first pick in the rookie draft, we have Chase Abbey. So, Chase, let's go ahead and jump right into this thing and give the listeners the good stuff.
2: Yeah. So I know it's Superflex, but it had to be Bijan. You know what's left to say. Amazing agility, great speed, breaks tackles for fun. He's got the build of a, a feature back at six foot 220, uh, can be a major factor in the passing game. He, he ran pretty much every route um, and, and will do so at the NFL level. The, the generational talent moniker gets thrown around too loosely on occasion, but I think in this case, it's, it's well within Bijan's range of outcomes to, to become one of the best backs in the NFL. I know some people aren't made up with his landing spot, but if Tyler Algier can run for a 1,000 yards behind pretty much the same offensive line, then just imagine what, what Bijan can do. The right side of that line, really good run blockers, Chris Lindstrom and Caleb McGarry. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to see what Bijan can do in that team. It kind of depends on Desmond Ritter taking that step forward, I think, to, to, to really propel that offense to the next level. But, you know, he played a lot better in his last two games, so... Yeah, there's a lot to be there's a lot to be hopeful for in terms of Bijan.
1: Absolutely. And I think one of the reasons why we take him ahead of these quarterbacks is simply because of the safety that an asset like him provides. Sometimes in super flex drafts, you'll see quarterbacks taken as early as the 101, but all these quarterbacks have some question about them that gives us some worry, and Bijan is about as safe as it gets. Let's go ahead and jump right into the 102.
0: Yeah, and uh, with the with the 102, I took Bryce Young. I don't even know what more you need to say. He was... The first overall pick in the NFL draft. The, I think the reason that he's not gone 101 is his size. And it's, if he was, you know, 15 pounds heavier, it's not even 15 pounds heavier. If Bryce Young had CJ Stroud's body, we would not be having this discussion anymore. Like you look at the play that he put together on the field with the participation, the ability to throw it into tight coverages. Everything that he displayed on the field was why that they picked him number one and weren't afraid of his size. And that is the only thing that people are worried about when they look at him and they go, well, Anthony Richardson is this physical freak. Bryce Young is a tiny, tiny man. That photo with him and uh, Brian Burns has got, has just set Twitter afire. It looks like an older brother taking his younger brother to school. In Superflex, quarterbacks are king and he is the best quarterback in the draft.
1: Yeah, I think I agree with you there, Aaron. He seems to have all of the skills, minus the size, and that left me at the 103 to take Anthony Richardson. Basically, the opposite of Bryce Young. All of the size, skills we have yet to see about, but definitely has the arm skill, the arm strength, arm talent to get it you know to, to to succeed at the NFL level, I should say. But you know, it's a matter of developing his accuracy and consistency, ability to really ball at that NFL level but there is no doubting his rushing ability and in a super flex league I'm looking for upside at that quarterback position he was drafted to the Colts with the fourth overall pick so I have to imagine that he is going to stick around with that team for a very long time
0: the only thing that scared me off of Richardson at 102 and left him for you at 103 was he has the worst passing profile of any quarterback ever taken in the first round like it's it scares me so much that what if he turns into, like he's got much better athleticism, of course, but what if he turns into sort of a, a a Zach Wilson where he is just, he can't pass at all. He can run, you know, a little bit like Justin Fields-esque, but his passing is so bad that the Colts go, you know what, we're going to have to yank you off the field. Gardner's going to play, and they're just back on the QB carousel in two years. And it made my decision very easy at the 104.
3: I would have taken him... Probably 102-103 ahead of the other quarterbacks. C.J. Stroud is just, he was built in the lab. He's the prototypical size. He's 6'3", 220. He showed a lot in the uh, game versus Georgia. Threw for over 300 yards. Four touchdowns. He he basically carried that Ohio State deep offense throughout the entire game. Almost had the biggest upset maybe in the playoffs. So C.J. Stroud going to Houston. I think is a no-brainer at the 104. Um, They're starting to put some pieces around him. They got a decent offensive line. They got a a decent running back in Damian Pierce who can take some of the pressure off, so he's not going to have to carry the entire team from the get-go. So super, super easy pick at 104.
1: Yeah, and him going second overall in the draft to Houston obviously means good things for his staying power in the NFL. Obviously, he had some ups and downs in college, but he absolutely balled out when it really mattered. And so anybody that has doubts about his ability to play at that level in the NFL, I think we can see that and be reassured that if we can just see that from him more consistently, we'll see that as a as something that we see from his skill set in the NFL level. We're going to go ahead and jump it on now over to the 105,
4: and see who Eric took there. At the 105 I took Amir Gibbs. Uh, I think uh, he's got the speed, four three six in the forty. Uh, he's got the draft capital at uh, the 12th pick. Whether you agree with that pick or not, there with the, what the Lions did, they obviously believe in Gibbs, and I think we should too. I think even if he's a committee back, he's a PPR committee back, and uh, he's going to be good for a long time. He has upside of maybe being a Jamal Charles type back uh, if he's not on a committee. So I really like
0: that. I, th- I think they're going to give him the opportunities to get it as well. Like, if you looked at the draft room reaction when they drafted him at twelve, like I, yeah, I thought Dan Campbell was going to break the table, like with how hard that he was slapping it. And you've got Montgomery there, and so I feel like Montgomery will probably be the guy that takes the goal line work away. But I don't know if Gibbs needs goal line work. Like it, there was there was talks about how Swift was was on the outs last year with Du Staley because he wouldn't run the way that Staley wanted him to run and he was always looking for space. I feel like Gibbs is a sort of runner, if you watch him the way he ran in college, he'll take the gap that's that's set up for him. And if he gets half a if he gets half a gap, he is gone. So yeah, he's gonna look very electric in that offense.
5: All right, uh, 106, we got Jackson Smith in Jigba, Ohio State wide receiver. Obviously this last year didn't look great for him due to injury. But all we need to do is look back one year when he played alongside of Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. Hashtag spoiler alert. Those guys are pretty good in the NFL already. And he outperformed them significantly at that time. Um, I know a lot of people point to slot usage. He still could be used in the slot at this level and be successful. I mean, there's still plenty of, of opportunity for that. We saw just recently someone like Justin Jefferson, who is heavily utilized in the slot at LSU, come and find a way to play on the outside. So with that said... He's not in the perfect spot. He's got DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett in front of him. Lockett's uh, getting up uh, on the wrong side of 30 here. And I think this is something where maybe year one isn't as as spectacular as we like, but it's going to be wheels up for him for his career in an offense that's been able to support two wide receivers plenty across two different quarterbacks. So, JSN, let's go.
1: And I really think that the 106 here in a super flex draft is potentially where we see some kind of a tear break. Obviously, there are some really good players after him, but the top two wide receivers have gone. Sorry, the top two running backs have gone, and those are the only two running backs in the class that really seem to be safe, safe assets. And the top three quarterbacks have gone, and those are the only three quarterbacks that seem to be safe, safe assets. As far as wide receivers go, obviously we have a a couple top guys, but Jason's the only one that's like really, really, we know for a fact that he is going to be an NFL caliber receiver. I'm optimistic about Jordan Addison. Quentin Johnson had a great landing spot. Zay Flowers got drafted really highly as well. But I think getting JSN here at the 106 was really, really great for you, Jake. Let's go ahead and move on to the 107.
2: Yeah, thanks, Jake. He really annoyed me with that pick. I was, uh, I was, I was really hoping JSN would fall to me. At 107, uh, it wasn't to be. Uh, I'm pretty happy with Addison, though, to be honest with you. He was my number two receiver in the draft that the route running is unreal, arguably uh, one of the best, if not the best, amongst the rookie wide receivers. You combine that with his release, his acceleration, his ability to navigate traffic, I think it could be something special. He was the Belenikov winner for a, for a reason. What I really like about Addison is that he's been excellent throughout his college career, despite playing under you know multiple different offensive coordinators, playing with multiple QBs. I know that's not that out of the ordinary for college wide receivers, but it's just another string to his bow I think. You know, he had some drop issues earlier with his career, but that that really wasn't a problem last year. Perhaps the biggest uh, negative or, or point to worry about I think is probably his his slight frame, but he's my kind of wide receiver. I I roster DeVonta Smith everywhere uh, and you know, that's kind of worked out pretty well for me. So, yeah, I'm I'm really happy with uh, with Addison at the 107. Yeah, pretty pretty stoked about that. One. I I was a little bit bit upset, actually, because
0: I was hoping that Addison would fall to 108 because I I look at the landing spot that you got there and I feel like it's the best landing spot for immediate production that you're going to get because Jason stuck behind the two, like Metcalf and Lockett. Johnston is stuck behind Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. Opposite Justin Jefferson, like the corpse of Adam Thielen last year, still managed 110 targets. So when you took him, it, it left a massive tear break for me and it meant that I was going to go into the first ADP off the board, and and I took I took Will Anderson Jr. at uh, at 108. I felt like it was a little bit on brand. I'd already written an article this year about Will Anderson and how you shouldn't be afraid to take him, pretty much at this position at 108 in your in your rookie drafts. Uh, in another draft, I took him at 102 because I just believe so much in the talent, like the production that he put up at Alabama, second only to Derek Thomas, and in, in you know. The the college's history in terms of those numbers. You think about the players that Alabama has had. When I did the article, I compared him to some of the other top prospects like that we've had in the recent years. So both Boses, Hutchinson, uh, Cameron, Turbo, Chase Young, Bradley Chubb, Miles Garrett, like other guys taken top ten in the NFL draft. And on a per game basis, he beat them all. Like he had better stats per game than than all of those other elite pass rushers. So. if you're in an IDP draft, I I feel more than happy taking him over sort of the confusion that you have with the other wide receiver landing spots, the mess we have at running back, and the tight ends as well. And honestly, that was good and bad for my next pick at the 109 because it made it easier
1: for me to choose who I was going to take because I feel like there was really only one guy left in that tier. But it also made me a little upset because I was kind of open to get Will Anderson myself. And so I feel like this year there's a top three at wide receiver. And they can go in any order. I've seen them go in any order in real rookie drafts because I've already been in like four or five of them. But Quentin Johnson, or Quentin Johnston, I should say, I always forget there's a T in his last name. I'm not going to lie. But landing with the Los Angeles Chargers, landing with Justin Herbert, man, what a great landing spot on a team that absolutely needs his skill set. I think uh, he's primed for production. And while I do have some doubts about his ability to actually play NFL caliber football, because he was a little iffy at TCU, and he definitely is a little raw, needs some development. I'm optimistic about what he can become, and I feel like he's just the right pick here. Uh, I'm curious why Jeff went Dalton Kincaid at the 10. I love the talent, and I love the landing spot, so I'm curious to see what his reasoning is here.
3: Yeah, I was hoping that Quentin Johnson fell to me, but unfortunately he did not. I like same reasons. I mean, he is uh, very raw as a prospect, but I think he fits the mold, and he's tied to a, a very up-and-coming quarterback. In San Diego, yeah, Los Angeles now, not San Diego, but you know him and Herbert are going kind of to develop some really good chemistry going forward. But so that left me with Dalton Kincaid. I just must have fallen in love with athletic freaks in this draft because Kincaid like was designed to be a tight end, and he was designed to be a tight end in Buffalo, where he's basically going to be the wide receiver number two. There, they tried last year to find a wide receiver two, and they really tried to force the issue after that playoff game, but never came to fruition so um, I think that you know after Diggs, I think that uh, Josh Allen is going to heavily lean on Dalton Kincaid this year and we know the wasteland that the tight end represents and you know after Kelsey an argument can be made for eight or nine guys and I think if you can get on the Kincaid train right now early I think you're going to reap the benefits for years to come especially since he's tied to Buffalo so
4: yeah I agree Kincaid's got a great opportunity on Buffalo People say that Dawson Knox hasn't done a whole lot there than maybe catch some touchdowns. But uh, Kincaid is not Dawson Knox. Uh, I think receptions are earned. Targets are earned. So um, Kincaid is a completely different beast. And uh, the guy's got a real opportunity there to be a Kelsey-like player. Um, They'll play him in the slot some. Um, All they have there now is Shakir, which is a good young player. But I think uh, they'll do a lot of 12 personnel and get uh, Kincaid split out a little bit. And that's who I was going to take. But uh, since Kincaid was taken, I was able to take my guy, Jack Campbell. I love Mr. Campbell. He uh, plays for my favorite team in college, or did. And uh, the guy's a really smart player. He uh, puts himself in the right places most of the time. I mean, he's not quite to the Josie Jewell level of that. You know, Joe, Jewel was not very athletic, but he needed his smarts to get him in the right places. Campbell's not like that. He's very athletic. Had a six-seven-four three 4'3", cone, and a nine-nine-eight if I remember correctly, for his RAS score. Just an incredible athlete. Got the size at six four and a half and uh, about 250. It really puts himself in the right places to make plays. Uh, can cover in the zone especially. Needs to work a little bit on the man-to-man, but uh, he's going to be a great player in the league for a long time. I see him uh, somewhere in the range between a Chad Greenway to Luke Keekly. He could be anywhere amongst that spectrum in my mind.
2: Yeah, I, I agree with everything you said about Campbell there. Eric, I I just can't work out for the life of me why they would have signed Anzalone to the contract they did. The only the only the only sense I can make of that is that they 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 they, they must love Campbell so much to take him where they did. And maybe didn't expect him to uh, to get to that point, um, given his uh, his sort of meteoric rise uh, up the draft ranks as we closed in on uh, on the draft. Um, which again just says to me they must they must love him. It, it, I'm a bit sad because I I was kind of like a a Malcolm Rodriguez fan. I was kind of hoping at some point he would kind of usurp Anzalone last year, and it looked like it might happen for a while, but I guess it wasn't to be. So, yeah, sad
5: times. All right, jumping into the 112, I took Zay Flowers, wide receiver for Baltimore. Baltimore usually considered a wasteland for wide receivers, except for maybe one, uh, and you know, and Mark Andrews, obviously, but that has changed. At least that's what I'm projecting. Todd Monken, the new offensive coordinator coming from Georgia, showed that he can work with, you know, talented pass catchers at any part of the field. Um, Obviously, you know, Darnell Washington and uh, Brock Bowers are tight ends that have found ways to succeed, succeed, but they've done it with their wide receivers as well, too. And Zay Flowers, one of the best athletic profiles coming out of this draft. Uh, I know everyone wants to throw out the A-B comps, right? And, And that's really not what I'm looking for here at 112. Obviously, anyone would take a wide receiver, one overall type player, but this is really just something where He's able to work in space. I think that's what we saw with the Georgia offense, too. That was really their goal is to move people around, get them in space, and really let the the playmakers make plays. And I think that's what we got with Zay Flowers here. And for me at 112, I'm happy to take that. Questioned it maybe with Will Levis here. Um, what we're going to talk about next. But I like, I like Zay Flowers' floor a lot better than I like Will Levis. So that's why I went with him at 112.
1: Yeah, honestly, Jake, Zay's Bay. That's all I have to say about this. I love Zay Flowers. I think he's got that dog in him. He has some deep route running ability that is rare, especially in this class. So yeah, his size is a little concerning. The offense, I know a lot of people associate Baltimore and Lamar Jackson with run first and maybe consider passing if you ever feel like it. But I really do think I agree with you here. They are going to mix things up this upcoming season and throw the ball a heck of a lot more. And as even though I'm a Steelers fan and I'm not supposed to like Lamar Jackson, I really do think he gets too much hate for his passing ability. I think he's a better throw over the football than a lot of people are willing to give him credit for. So I'm excited to see how they use all of these weapons to really get to the next level. And maybe they'll see some success in the playoffs, finally. But Jace, I'm curious why Will Levis at the 201. I don't think it's a bad pick, but I'd love to see why you think he was the guy to go here.
2: Yeah, it's not a sexy pick, is it? Let's be honest. I I didn't want to walk away from a super flex mock draft without with our quarterback i obviously missed on the top 3 i'm not a massive hand and hooker fan this was the this was one of those picks where i thought you know this is my last opportunity to get him someone's going to take him before i, I pick next so uh, i like his strong arm you know he's pretty mobile enough to be able to escape trouble uh, he kind of excels in a play action style offense um, but yeah he's got a, he's got a low floor um, i get that um, stares down his target on occasion, uh, struggles under pressure, or more so last year than he did the year before, and the turnovers are a concern. But again, I, I, I didn't want to walk away without a quarterback, so Levis was my pick. The biggest concern I have overall, the things I just mentioned though, is the obviously the slide in the draft. That's there's a reason. There's a reason so many teams passed over him. But yeah, I wasn't going to be one of them.
0: Oh, I definitely think the reason that so many teams passed over was because he puts mayonnaise in his coffee. That's that hundred percent it. Like I there was, I, I guarantee you there was there was NFL GMs looking at that and just went and pulled his name off their board. With you taking Levis, who I kind of considered because same thing, like same thinking, it's super flex. Like quarterbacks are king. I went for my personal RB three at two hundred two, and I took Kendra Miller. All through pre-draft, I had another player at RB three, but landing spot just crushed him for me. And uh, I'm sure we'll we'll talk about him very soon. So I really liked the landing spot for Kendra. I loved the third round draft capital, like everywhere I'd seen in the mocks, like people had been talking about him because his pre-draft process with the, I think it was the MCL injury that he sustained in their playoff run meant that he wasn't able to test. So he wasn't at the combine. He didn't do any any athletic testing. So the mock drafts had him anywhere from, you know, late second, all the way through to sort of fifth and sixth. And in my head, I was like, as long as he gets that sort of second, third round drive capital, I'm going to be all in on Kendra. Alvin Kamara is staring down a suspension because of the lawsuits. I'm not worried about Jamal Williams in the slightest. You know, he's, he's a good role player. He does a job well. I just think Kendra can do it a lot better. And, and what we thought was going to be a really, good running, uh, a really good running back class that then turned into an elite two and a whole bunch of question marks, like Kendra just rose to the top of the question marks for me.
1: Yeah, you took your RB3, which left me to take my RB3. I do like Kendra Miller, and I think he has less future competition aside from him because I don't know how long Alvin Kamara is going to stick around on the Saints. But I went Zach Charbonnet because I believe in his talent, and I believe that the Seahawks drafting him means that they intend to use him for his skill set. I think he's going to be the receiving back there. I think he might even be the end zone back because... As much as I love Kenneth Walker, he was one of the lowest success rate running backs in the entire league this past season, and he's more of a breakaway runner. He's like a between-the-20s kind of guy. He's a, he's a player that you send out there to hope that you can get a big breakaway play, but I think Zach Charbonnet is going to be the kind of guy that gets some valuable touches, and I really just like the talent there, and so I'm more than willing to take him and hope that I'm right with that guess.
4: Yeah, and and Pete Carroll has already said uh, that he's going to compete for the number one job with uh, Kenny Walker. So there's a real opportunity there for him. Oh,
0: you can't trust anything Pete Carroll says. That <laughs> he is he is he is the one coach in the NFL. I refuse to listen to his press conferences because he will just he like he loves every single player on his team, and he could look you in the eye and propose to you while texting another girl on the side. Like it's I I do not trust that man at all. And the the one thing with
3: Seattle is everyone's always fine. They'll be back the next week. There literally could be a bone sticking out of their leg, and Carol will be like, well, he'll be fine. We'll, we'll see how he looks on Thursday, and we'll get, you know, so I totally agree. So I do like the Charbonnet pick, which left me with my next pick was Michael Mayer. This was kind of a slam dunk for me at the one or 204, I guess, now we're at. He just, like, checks all the boxes that you want in an athletic split tight end. He's big. He's fast. He's hard to bring down he's like the all-time leader at notre dame with 180 catches and when you think about the history of notre dame tight ends you got tyler eifert kyle rudolph you know if you go in the way back time machine you got mark Bavaro. like so there's like a a, like a lineage of tight ends that come from notre dame and uh, he surpassed them all he had uh, 18 touchdowns in his three-year playing tight end so and uh, we've already seen garoppolo kind of heavily target and pepper his tight ends some guy named George Kittle did pretty well with him in San Francisco. So I'm kind of expecting more of the same there in and the raid is.
4: All right. And uh with the next pick I took, Jonathan Mingo, one of the few big receivers in this draft. And uh really like his talent. He has a draft capital at 208. He's been rising up everybody's draft boards. Doesn't have a ton of competition in Carolina. Um, with Chark and with uh Marshall on the outside receivers, Thielen probably playing this lot. So he's got an opportunity to take one of those outside spots right away and uh, run with it. Uh, very athletic guy, had an RAS of 997 and uh, 6'2", 220, just your classic X-style receiver, and there weren't a whole lot in this draft. So I went ahead and went with him.
5: All right, then moving on to the 206. I took Devon Aching, running back for the Miami Dolphins. Uh, Went from one of the biggest wide receivers to one of the smallest running backs here back-to-back. And a lot of people didn't like that size, and a lot of people held that against them. But the Dolphins didn't have a whole lot of draft capital. And one of their few higher-round picks, the third-round pick, they used it on Devon A-Chain. And they have the ability and the mindset with Mike McDaniel to find a way to get runners on on the outside in that outside zone scheme that they love to run. Um, That's why you see people like Raheem Mostert, who have that extra gear, get outside, and do that, and then they make they just make big plays happen. And you see the same thing from uh, A-Chain back uh, at college at Texas A&M. And this is exactly what I expect to see a lot of for him. They're just going to try to get him out into space, move things around. And now you're talking Jalen Waddell, Tyree Kill, A-Chain, Mostert. You have ungodly amounts of speed on that field. I don't think any defense is truly equipped to fully handle all that. And Thats all they're gonna look for is they're going to look for the mismatch and they're going to give it to them. Now, does that mean a chain's going to see 10, fifteen touches locked in every game? Maybe not. Maybe he sits on the lower end of that at eight to ten. But when you're talking weekly upside of that forty, 50, 60 yard run that potentially ends in a touchdown, that's a nice, that's a nice upside play that you can put into your flex spots. so
0: I heard I heard the perfect sort of analogy tying in with what you mentioned about having Tyree kill. And, and Jay, Le the there. And it was talking about how they were going to run the four by 100 meters. Like that's, that's what the, the dolphins were, were essentially building about how they were going to have like Raheem Mostert and he was going to do the first leg. And then he was going to hand off to the cheater, and the cheater was going to run down the second, come to waddle on the third, and then it was just a chain going to blister at home on the fourth, and they're just going to run track around the uh, the rest of the offenses in the uh, <laughs> in the AFC, and uh, and it just it just sort of resonated with me when you
2: started listing the names again. So yeah, with the uh, with the two oh seven, I took uh, Rashawn Johnson. There were there was a bunch of IDPs left on the board and a couple of wide receivers that I was interested in, but yeah, Johnson's a, a, a bit of a favorite of mine. He. I feel like his efforts were were lost a little behind Bijan, and the, you know the draft capital isn't there. But he's a big, a big powerful back with with pretty good athleticism, I think, for his size. He he breaks tackles for fun. Found an interesting stats that he's the he had the highest missed tackle rate in the NCAA for the last eight years, ahead of ahead of Bijan, who also ranked pretty highly himself. I liked hearing what the Bears scouts were saying about him recently. They were raving about him. I can't remember exactly what it was they said, but there was something about how he was going to be a key part of their plans going forward, which you know you kind of expect. He's not elusive. He's not going to beat players with his agility. And I know the landing spot as 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 Riald Sam. I kind of like Herbert. Not I don't mind Foreman, but I don't think Foreman's going to stand in in Johnson's way. And I can see I can see Johnson working his way into a a running back by committee fairly early in his uh, in his rookie year. And I think that's pretty good value at the two two oh seven. So. Yeah, Johnson was my man. It left me with a painful decision because he was sort of one of the last running
0: backs that I actually had any sort of faith in as being able to garner like a decent role uh even in year 1. So I just went a complete different way and I went and grabbed uh, a tight end at 208 and uh can I can I borrow your hat Eric please because um I I got the uh I got I got the my, my favorite guy for this draft and that was Sam LaPorta and everywhere you look they're just talking about like the athleticism because they come out of the same school there's the the baby Kittle comps and it was just he with the ball in hand like if Kincaid is a better receiver I think Laporta is much better after the catch but when you look at him he's got the ball at hands he's running you know Michael Mayer runs like he's got his shoes tied together he gets the ball in open space and he's either going to fall down four yards later or he's already in the end zone because they're throwing it inside the twenty. so I was I was really excited to sort of get the uh the the athlete that is Sam Laporta there at the at the
4: two hundred eight. Yeah, I agree. He has tremendous contact balance. When he gets hit, it's, he doesn't always go down. He does a real good job of staying on his feet, continuing to battle for more yards. As a play against Kentucky, that I think everybody has seen by now, uh, just an incredible play where he stayed on his feet. I think he broke maybe five or six tackles on that play. People talk about his blocking, but he really wasn't asked to block a lot at Iowa, which is unusual. He's split out wide. Iowa didn't have any offense or receivers. Laporta pretty much was the offense, so uh, he wasn't asked to block quite as much as uh, past tight ends have been. So I'm not as worried about that. I think he'll work on it.
1: Yeah, I, I really like that pick, and on top of that, obviously he's extremely athletic, and so that's one of the the stronger predictive metrics as far as just tight end success in the NFL. I continued to go with offense. I'm not typically a manager that drafts IDPs highly, in some of these rookie drafts. And so I was looking at all the wide receivers available and basically all the remaining guys have some questions. And so I had to ask myself, which question marks am I okay with and which question marks am I fading? And that left me to draft Marvin Mims, the wide receiver now for the Denver Broncos. Now he went in the second round, which is very optimistic for his future production. And obviously there are some question marks as far as who he's playing alongside with Jerry Judy and Corlin Sutton and KJ Hamler and Fireball Jones, Tim Patrick. But I truly do believe that he's a talented player, and I believe that talent ultimately will win out. And so I'm really excited to see what he can do in a Sean Payton-led offense, and maybe Russell Wilson can finally bounce back with a really great coach working with him.
3: Yeah, I was hoping Mims was going to slide one more pick to me. I like that he was Sean Payton's first pick. So I think there's going to be a little bit of a pride in that pick. And I think that Peyton's going to try to almost maybe force the issue. And I I believe they moved up to draft him. I thought they traded a pick or two to get moved up to get him. But yeah, Mims is a solid pick, I think. And so then that left me with my last running back dart throw with Zach Evans landing with the Rams. I think that uh, Evans brings kind of a mix that is needed. Cam Akers was on his way out in LA last year and then they brought it back and so there was kind of that weird soap opera drama going on in LA not quite sure how that all played out and so I don't think Cam Akers has a a long long leash to go Um, Evans they moved up in the sixth round to draft him so clearly they had a, a plan for him he didn't just fall to him granted it's only six round draft capital but just the fact that they moved up to get him I think says that they they do
0: definitely plan on using him going forward so I'm just, I'm just a little bit worried about him and sort of his, like his desire, if if that's the best way to put it, because I, I don't know if he's got the desire to beat out Cam Akers because he lost the job to Kendra Miller. So he transferred out to, to Ole Miss and then he lost the job to, to Quinchon Junkins. I, I just, I, I look at him and he was, what well, he was TCU's highest ever recruited player when he came into, from, from high school. He was the highest ever player that TCU have ever recruited. And he just kind of amounted to nothing. And I, I just wonder if when when the sort of the, the flames are applied to his feet in in LA, with we've already seen McVeigh slap Cam Akers in the doghouse about three different times if if he finally gets the role, if he's going to be able to, to sort of jump into it or whether he's going to end up back out of the dog, Like if we're going to see the, the the swapping that we saw with Henderson when he'd get put in the doghouse and then Akers would get to play and then Akers would be in the doghouse and Henderson would get to play. And it just, it just the whole thing scares me. Like especially when, you know, Akers and Henderson were both second round guys and he was doing it to as opposed to a, to a sixth round guy. All right. And uh, with the
4: next pick, the 11th pick of the second round, I went with uh, Reishi Rice in Kansas City. Good landing spot. At this point in the draft, there's a lot of question marks for pretty much all the offensive players. And I went with the guy with a a good landing spot. Also one of the bigger receivers again, kind of a theme with me. I tend to fade the smaller receivers, uh, except for Devontae Smith, Chase. I do like him bigger receiver he's not battling anybody overly special at kansas city you know they got tony they've got mvs they've got sky moore all good players tony can be spectacular at times but uh, i think uh, rice has a good
5: chance to see the field and uh, i bet on it here with this pick all right right. We'll following up the big wide receiver with another small running back at the 212 uh, i went with two lane stando tajay spears some people say you need ACLs to play in the NFL. I say you don't, and and Ty J. Spears is going to prove that to us. Uh, no, but for, but for real, you know, he, he obviously had suffered some serious injuries with his ACL, uh, definitely some setbacks. He went out there, and he carried a heavy workload still this last year. He showed out in the senior bowl. He showed out in the passing games, just putting people on skates, constantly in the one-on-one drills. This is a guy who's clearly got the skill set. He's willing to take on the contact, and, you know, I wish him all the best, and I hope he has a 10-year NFL career. But when we do talk about a fantasy asset in terms of the game that we're playing, running backs are really looking at four- to five-year shelf lives. That's probably what he's got, and I hope he gets every dollar he can out of it and and delivers for fantasy value the way I expect him to. And, And I want to be along for that ride because I think he's going to be a guy in Tennessee that even if Henry stays, even though the trade rumors are still swirling at times for him to be leaving, they clearly needed someone in that passing game where and they're going to need someone to give that change of pace, and Henry's going to eventually slow down, and it's going to be a perfect opportunity for Spears to step in and start just absorbing all those snaps and all those dump-offs. Like I said, love me some Spears, ACLs, we don't need them.
2: Uh, and that led me into probably the pick that I'm happiest with the most in this draft. I was really hoping he would fall to me, and yeah, he did. Jalen Carter, he's, as a, as a physical specimen, he's he's the total package. He's 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 big. He's got he's fast. He's got a great first step. He's strong. He's got the natural quickness, the production. The guy's just been an absolute menace. Explosive pass rusher, but he can also play the run pretty well too. Uh, I love the landing spot. Uh, he's the, the the heir apparent to Javon Hargrave, as I wrote about in the team previews in the uh, the draft kit, the IDP Show draft kit, and he doesn't really have that much competition. Fletcher Cox is getting no younger. Milton Williams, despite the crazy RAS score, is unproven and they haven't really leaned on him at any point. Jordan Davis, we know he's a run sufferer. He's a two-down defensive tackle. So, yeah, I really like the landing spot. The cons, you know, we've talked about them. They've been well-documented. The off-field concerns, the reckless driving, you know, the conditioning at the pro day. I, I fancy his chances to turn it around, become that sort of NFL pro and yeah really make an impact so yeah really happy with this pick i'm glad you're really happy with it because i don't know if you guys saw michael parson's reaction
0: after Jalen carter was drafted to the eagles but the words that came out of his mouth because he was on the bleacher report stream he says i feel sick i feel sick to my stomach uh, and that's how i felt when you drafted carter because i wanted him one pick later because he is the best player in this entire draft class like just based on talent alone like if you were to take out all the red flags and everything else, Jalen Carter is the best player in this in this draft class, has the highest ceiling, and the Philadelphia Bulldogs are going to bring it out of him. I know that they, you know, they they play they play in, in Pennsylvania and not not down in in Georgia where they should. But like you look at the rest of the team, he's got what half of that 2021 championship defense around him. He's got Jordan Davis, the Kobe Dean behind him. I saw a meme where they drafted Hooger the Bulldog as well, like just to just to make him feel at home, like. It's it's the perfect team for for him to land on. So I was very upset when you when you drafted him, and it left me to take the the only running back that I was even remotely happy with left in the draft class at three hundred two, and that was Tank Bigsby. And I kind of feel like that was a little bit of debbie Take Lock. Like, I still remember from freshman year when, when it was it was Tank and Bajon. Like, everyone was like, oh, my God, like, this 2023 draft class is going to be incredible. We've got these two amazing running backs at the top. It's, it's Tank Bigsby out of Auburn, and it's Bajon Robinson out of Texas. And then Auburn just turned into an absolute house fire of a team, and he was left to try do everything on his own. I, I really like the landing spot, actually, when you put him there in... Jacksonville with ETN because I think ETN proved last year that he's not able to carry an entire workload on his own. So if you give him a chance to to maybe be like a two down banger and, and split the workload there with ETN, then you at this point in the draft, in the third round, if I'm getting a committee back, awesome. Like if I'm getting, if I'm getting a guy who's going to get 40% of the touches, but like I love that. Like I'm not looking for, I'm not looking for a guy to get sort of 60, 70% of the the running back touches in the third round, so it was uh it was the only running back that I that I saw that, and I think I must have been with everybody else because we didn't draft any more running backs for the entire draft. Every, it, that was the cutoff point. So
1: yeah, I really think you did take the last guy available, and at that point we finally started getting into some more IDPs, but not yet because there was one more wide receiver that I really wanted to draft, and I actually like him over Marvin Mims, but Marvin Mims tends to get taken earlier, and so I was gambling that he would fall to my next pick, and he did. I got Jaden Reed, the new wide receiver for the Green Bay Packers. To keep it short, Jaden Reed didn't look incredible in college. His production wasn't otherworldly, I guess you could say, but he wasn't really playing at a great school. He transferred to Michigan State, but before then, I think he was at Western Michigan, and if you just compare him to other NFL players that came out of that offense, he compares favorably to them. I've been a big fan of Jaden Reed's for a long time now, and I'm excited that he got the draft capital back to uh, to back him up, so I'm I'm just really looking forward to seeing what
3: he can do here. Yeah, I love the pick, and Green Bay has a history of coaching up second round wide receivers. That's just kind of what they do. Never take anybody in the first round, no pass catchers ever, and then they just kind of always seem to have the guys, so, and with that room between Dobbs and Christian Watson, I think there's a definitely a path to play there for him, so. I really wanted him, but then I settled for the next wide receiver. Went to the Indianapolis Colts, Josh Downs. I think he's going to be on the field a lot. I don't think there's a lot of uh, wide receivers that will play in front of him. He's got Michael Pittman there. Obviously, he'll be the the big target. But Alec Pierce didn't really establish himself last year. And I think with Josh Downs' playmaking ability, his ability to play in the punt return game, I think he's going to do really, really well in those situations for him to be the step up and start getting played right away so to get him in the third round like we'd mentioned earlier about at this point in the draft if you're getting somebody who's getting 40 or 50 percent of snaps you're you're very
4: happy and i'm totally expecting more than that out of josh down so all right and uh with the next pick i went with tyree wilson big at six five and a half 270 plays the edge they haven't listed at linebacker which kind of concerned me but i have faith that sleeper will fix that problem and list him as dual linebacker, defensive line, high draft capital at 107, very athletic player. I trust that they will teach him more technique and that he could be an absolute monster down the road. Might take him a year to get there, but I have high hopes for his future.
5: Moving into the 306, I picked up Jalen Hyatt, wide receiver for the New York Giants. Uh, this is someone who produced large numbers at Tennessee looked like the best wide receiver at times out there some some said it was Seth Tillman some said it was a Hyatt uh, but he's someone that clearly can make big plays down the field he has an amazing ability to track the ball downfield and working with Daniel Jones is someone that I think is actually an underrated deep ball thrower in the NFL I think this is a really good pairing and generally I try to stay away from drafting for situations specifically but I think he's got the clearest path in a wide receiver room to take over as the number one out of any rookie on any team this year. So I'm, I'm very, very excited for what he can do and what he could deliver for us here in year one right away. Uh, so I went uh, defense again, uh, my
2: first offensive end. Miles Murphy, I'm not, I'm not made up about the landing spot, but I think it's kind of what he needs. He's, he's, he's raw, he's going he's gonna to be given some time to work behind Hubbard and, and Hendrickson there. I was kind of hopeful Joseph Asai was going to become something. Like, I kind of carried sort of a torch for him after the uh, the, the the preseason sack, which seems like a, a forever ago now. On Tom Brady, I don't know if you guys remember that one. But yeah, Murphy, you know, he lacks the the production, the college production, and the technical ability of someone like um, you know Will Anderson. But a year sat behind Hubbard and, and, and Hendrickson, I think I think he could become something. He's he's a, he's a huge guy. He needs to work on his pass rush repertoire to disengage from blocks um these sound like you know really really troublesome uh traits for a for a defensive end but there's enough there for us to uh to, to to be excited about what he could become it just might take a year or two
0: i decided to be the uh the offensive meat in the d-line sandwich at 308 as you as you t- t- took a, an edge in front of me and then we had evan take a take an edge behind me and, and i took a qb i took hendon hooker it's a super flex draft again just echoing what we said about Levis earlier qb's a king if you get one that hits do i do i think he plays right away not at all do i think he plays next year maybe but if i get if i can get a future starter at qb in the third right in the middle of the third round i mean Goff's only got a five million uh five million dollar dead cap hit on his contract next year i think someone may have tricked dan campbell and just told him that if they drafted if he drafted Tendon hooker he could keep the qb on his rookie contract until he was 30 but didn't actually say that he was 25 years old now so he thought he was getting a guy for nine years at a, at a cheap discount he's obviously coming off the acl so he needs to he needs to recover but he can make plays with his legs he doesn't look like a weightlifter when he's throwing the ball like levis does like levis looks like he's about to pull a muscle every time he uncorks the ball he's just so tight in the upper body and that Tennessee offense was, if, if he hadn't done his ACL, there's a high possibility that we would have been looking at Hooker for, for the Heisman, even though the Tennessee offense was a gimmick and they only played on one side of the field, and he never wanted to look to the other side. But again, if I can get a starting QB or a potential starting QB in the, in the third round in a super flex league, I'm, I'm going to take it.
1: Yeah, and I think that's probably the right time to take him too because he's going to sit for a while, but it being a super flex league means that at some point you've got to take that quarterback if you even think he has a chance. And I evaluated the board after you took him and realized I was ready to dive into the IDP waters and who better to dive into than Lucas Van Ness, my one true love from this rookie class. He is absolutely awesome, jacked out of his mind. I guess I could talk about his skill, but like, what's the whole point? If he's Lucas Van Ness and he's huge and he had a great landing spot with the Green Bay Packers, he's going to soak up so many snaps as soon as he ends up with that starting role, whether that's because Rashawn Gary's injured or because Preston Smith eventually is going to depart in free agency, I really do believe Lucas Van Ness can be the next big thing in Green Bay, and I am more than willing to wait for him to develop at into an NFL caliber player, if you will. I, I can be patient. I think if we prioritize immediate production, sometimes we can miss out on the, the true big plays in Dynasty, and so I am totally okay with waiting for him to become something
2: I'm i'm a little scared about van ness to be honest with you um the inexperience doesn't concern me as much as as everybody else but um and it, it's probably a bit odd for me to to, to talk negatively about van ness and to, to talk up someone like like murphy perhaps who's who's, who's also a little raw but yeah I, I don't tend to chase chase players who have got um Just the physical traits. I mean, the landing spot's kind of nice. Like you say, Gary's coming off the, was it an ACL? And Smith, he looks, I know he was uh, productive last year in terms of sacks, but he he had a really crazy high finishing rate and he's getting no younger. But yeah, Van Ness, he does scare me a little bit, to be honest. Yeah, people like to talk about that he's never started. And the
4: Iowa defensive line is kind of similar to Philadelphia that they rotate a lot of players in and out. So there's a good eight, nine players that rotate in and out. And he actually had the second most snaps on the Iowa defensive line last year. So he did get quite a bit of playing time. Obviously not full time because they rotate so much. But uh, when he's in there, he is disruptive.
0: The only reason I can think that Green Bay took him that high that I can get to is the the niggle factor. Because I found out that he's dating Colcomit's sister. So it's just he's just going to be lined up there opposite commit every time the Green Bay plays plays the Chicago Bears, and he's just going to be cheered at him from across the from across the uh, the line of scrimmage. So when I heard when I heard that that little tidbit that uh, that tickled me greatly. So
3: <clears throat>
0: if if this draft pick
3: is available to me in the end of my third rounds in my drafts, I am racing to hit the draft button. I think Trent Simpson's upside this season is going to be he's going to be defensive rookie of the year. I think his situation is going to change greatly in the next few weeks. The Ravens have $20 million wrapped up in Roquan Smith. And I know there's a certain drafter in this group that may think he might be the best IDP player ever to walk the face of the earth, but that's for another segment altogether. But they have $20 million wrapped up in Roquan Smith. And linebacker is almost like the offense or the defensive version of running backs right now. It's so devalued in the NFL. There's just no way that the Ravens can keep both. Roquan Smith and Patrick Queen on roster with that much money wrapped up. They drafted Simpson in the third round. Um, the coaching staff loves him. They call him a missile. Um, I think he's just going to be able to learn a great deal from, from Roquan Smith and just develop into just a, a stud that we all want to find and lottery ticket at the end of the third round. So,
4: Yeah, and they've already uh, declined um, extending the rookie, uh, rookie extension for uh, Patrick Queen. So you know he's on his way out. So even if, even if Simpson doesn't get a lot of playing time this year gear and uh, that was a good pick, and it led me looking at somewhere else then because um, I, I like that pick a lot. And I went with uh, Cedric Tillman, um, another somewhat larger receiver, 6'3", 213. I don't know if you sense a theme here. I uh, like the the bigger receivers typically. And uh, going to Cleveland, got Amari there. You got Donald and Peoples-Jones there. I believe they also declined Donovan Peoples-Jones' fifth-year extension as well here recently. So uh, looks like Tillman's probably going to get a good shot at playing time. If not this year, then he's going into the next year. He should have some playing time, and uh, I like his chances to earn some targets.
5: Well, who would I be if not to break tradition here for us, Eric? You went with the large guy. I went with the undersized guy. Linebacker from Washington State, Dayon Henley, uh, going to the Los Angeles Chargers. So... He has um, one of the interesting profiles for linebackers in this draft class, and, and and he plays so fast on the field, and when you watch him on film, he is getting to the spots that he needs to get to quickly. He definitely has an ability to win that way. There's the fun story of, you know, he's a converted wide receiver. He has the ability to play sideline to sideline with that type of range and speed, So so really love to see that. I think jeff hit on some points earlier talking about the value of linebackers in today's nfl and henley i think has an opportunity to realize his value right away and that's why they like to bring in these rookies uh, at the times they do because with eric kendricks aging out of the nfl uh, in its entirety you know catch me now on that if you want i think kendricks has got one year left at most so if you think he's got more than that well you you can roster him well i'll take on people like Dayon henley so i love his chance to deliver right away Strong, strong tackler, low miss tackle rate. And I think that's what this Chargers defense needs. They're, they're a run funneling defense that likes to just bring people to that second level, keep everything in front of them. And they, they did not have that last year at the linebacker position. And Kenneth Murray is another one who we just talked about not seeing a fifth year extension uh, or, or option picked up. That's what we got going on there. So clear path for Henley for LB1 on this, on this team by year two, if not sooner. Yeah, yeah, it's just an interesting
2: story on Hen- Henley. I've been talking him up to uh, a friend of mine who's a Broncos fan. I said, if you if you take Henley in the third, I'm going to be absolutely gutted. I fell asleep and then woke up to find that uh, my team, the Chargers, had taken Henley. So I was I was pretty over the moon. I agree with what you said there about uh, about Kendricks. He, he he dropped off last year. Um, I'm kind of hopeful that a change in scheme can can give him a bit of a kick up the ass and and he can kind of return a little bit to his to his older ways, but. I'm not. I'm not super hopeful. And if I remember rightly, his contract is structured such that they could get rid of him after the the, the first uh, the first year of his two years. So, um, you know, it's a steep learning curve for Henry. Like you say, he's only been playing for three years. But it's interesting to wonder what his ceiling is going to be if he's this good after only three years. And I, you know, we've been we've been dying dying for a a, a cover linebacker, and I'm, I'm hopeful that he can be it. And that leads me nicely into my first pick of the third round, which was uh, Nolan Smith. Um, yeah, I kind of, I kind of I like Nolan Smith. Not in love with him, but he's he's small for an edge rusher, two hundred and thirty-eight pounds and only six-two. But you just forget about that when you when you kind of watch him play because he's just a, he's he's just so intense and violent with uh, with the way he plays, especially in uh, in run defense. He's got the first step, the agility, the speed. Uh, he can get low and beat blockers I wonder about his ability to add more weight uh to his frame uh, at the next level but you know we've seen undersized uh pass rushers have you know massive success in recent years Hassan reddick uh being the prime example so I'm kind of I'm kind of hoping that uh, that Smith can kind of emulate someone like that and it helps that he's you know he's gone to uh, the same team as uh as, as Reddick as well so uh, landing spot. Mm, little bit, little bit unsure about that. They've got a lot of pass rushes there, and three of them are really good last year. So, um, but one of them's old. So, yeah, let's see what happens. But yeah, quite happy with the Nolan Smith pick there. Death taxes and Jace taking the guy
0: that I wanted in drafts. That that is the uh, you know the sure the sure thing. Like whatever I did to to Evan, like in a past life, for him to sit me one pick behind Jace, like. I'm looking at this board and I'm like, I wanted him, Jace got him, I wanted him, Jace got him, I wanted there was only three guys that, that, that you took that I didn't want, and one of them was Will Levis. So with you taking Nolan Smith, uh that left me with sort of the forgotten man. Uh and I say that as, as a bit of an inside joke because I completely forgot that he hadn't been taken. And that was Drew Sanders. And I thought he'd gone off the you know, at least a whole round before, so I didn't even consider picking him here. He was a lot of people's like it was him and Jack Campbell as LB one, LB two, pre-draft. There was it, it depended on who you were talking to and, and what you were looking for. Whether you wanted the uh, the the perfect Macri, uh, what he mentioned about the guy with the lunch pail and Jack Campbell, or whether you wanted the the guy who's coming off the edge and had the blitzing ability as a converted edge and Drew Sanders when he moved from um from Alabama to Arkansas. So he's got a little bit of a fuzzy uh sort of path to play in front of him because Josie Joel you know they paid him a decent amount uh, in the off season last year and uh alex <laughs> alex singleton has just got greasy hair that's going to get in the coach's way so they're not going to be able to see the depth chart of where where Drew Sanders should actually be be rotating in or not but no i i think for the long term future that role is definitely his i think Drew only had uh, either a 2 or 3 year deal <laughs> kingleton is what he is you know he's a, he's a, he's, a, he's an amazing role player on limited snaps so I, I think being able to get somebody like drew sanders in the fourth round because we all forgot about him including me uh is is great
1: yeah i totally agree with you there i feel like in this class there's a big four linebackers now their order can be debated i think jack campbell being number one is the only thing that's not as debatable and after those four you reach some bigger question marks at position but i still wanted to snag a linebacker and as much as it breaks my heart i had to draft dorian Williams because. I think his landing spot's pretty good. Obviously, I am branded as a Terrell Bernard lover, and I will stand by that. I have a stupid high exposure to him in these ball drafts, and my heart is broken now because Dorian Williams might take his job at some point. But uh, Dorian Williams landing on the Buffalo Bills means that he has a chance to start alongside Matt Milano, and I will, I'll take that chance. I will, because I think... I think there's a chance that he can beat him out, and I think that there's a chance that he can get a lot of really valuable snaps on that defense, and maybe it happens in year one, maybe it doesn't, but the opportunity to get a player that can become something like that in the fourth round, oh my goodness, I'll take that chance any day. Let's go ahead and see who is at the 4-4.
3: Yeah, so I've been on a run here of defensive players, and I continue that looking at uh, Sidney Brown. Drafted in the third round by the Philadelphia Eagles. Surprisingly, he's not a Georgia player, so I don't know how that's going to all work out with their with their defense. But we'll we'll make it work for him. He was referred to as a red star player, and what Philadelphia does is they give their scouts a chance before the the draft happens to they go around the room and just say Who, who's your one red star player, who's your one red star prospect, the guy that you pick. And it was it's a tradition that Philadelphia has been doing for quite a few years. And um, Sidney Brown just like had a constellation of stars from all of the scouts. And he was like the one guy that they didn't want to leave the draft without. And Howie Roseman went on in record saying like, he's like exemplifies everything that we want here in Philadelphia character on the field, off the field stuff. So, and we've seen the safety position in Philadelphia be ultra productive for IDP purposes. So I think he just steps in day one, takes the job and is like a shoe in for, um, I upset, you know, it's interesting. We looked at like a, a him coming off the board as the first safety and probably pre-draft. Not a lot of people were probably predicting that, but I think as drafts go on, as the season unfolds here a little bit, we're going to see more of Sidney Brown being the first DB off the board. So,
4: Yeah, and uh, Sydney only had to beat out uh, Evan's other best ball sweetheart, Reed Blankenship, for the job. So I think that's a good bet to take, especially in the fourth round. With my next pick, a 4-5, I went with Felix and a DK. Uzama, hopefully I said that close enough to write. Uh, FAU, we'll call him. End of the first round, he was taken by the Chiefs. Chiefs have not had good edge rushers to the point where they've tried to move Chris Jones out there before. That didn't really work. Moved him back in where he belongs. And uh, they've got Karloftis last year to help build that up. They they brought in a Menahue And uh, they've got Dana still there, but I'm not too worried about him. But I think uh, you give them a year or two, and FAU is going to be right in the mix there, probably rotating with uh, Menihu and Karloff uh, this, this year. And I, I really like uh, the draft capital and his
5: opportunity there. All right. Coming in at the 406, IDP run continues. BJ Ojolari, defensive end, Arizona. For me, the big thing that I really loved about Ojolari was his speed rush might have been one of the best speed rushers or close to the best speed rusher in this class. Does he have some other faults in his game, though, on the flip side of that? Yes, but based on the fact that he has an ability and a way to win that I think can translate to the NFL and that he has a pure path to snaps week one of this year, I'm willing to definitely take a chance on him at 4.06. Uh, not
2: wanting to, uh, to upset our IDP run, I went with uh, Brian Bressy who's uh, again another another favorite of mine I'm a little bit biased I guess but yeah he's a menace when he's uh, when he's on his game he's got a, a blend of power and athleticism which uh, which can be which can be downright scary he moves so well for a 6'5", uh, 300 pound human uh, he's uh I like I like the fact that some of his best games came towards the end of the year when he was actually lined up outside the tackle and it, it kind of prev- I guess it gives us some hope that he can be scheme diverse. But what one of the things I like most about Bressy is his landing spot. So the Saints have have barely anybody in the position they've got. Uh, they got rid of Von Yamata and Shai Tuttle. I think those two led the team uh, in snaps uh, at the interior or on the defensive interior. They signed Kalen Saunders and they have Malcolm Roach still hanging around. But yeah, I think Bressy's going to be the best pass rusher of that uh, of that trio. He's dealt with so much adversity. I mentioned to the guys earlier that you know I, I I kind of pull for him for that reason. It's not a reason to draft him, admittedly, but yeah, I, I just I really really want to see him pan out.
0: And and I, I think the the thing with that as well is if you look at his tape from twenty twenty one, there was discussions that he could be sort of a top twelve, top fifteen pick just based on that. Like from what he I managed to put on tape before he he, he tore the ACL so it's to come back
2: from that it's 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 huge yeah five-star recruit but like you say yeah the injuries are a concern can he can he bounce back to the kind of player that we saw um a little while back i'm 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 reasonably hopeful uh
0: i i took a I took a dart throw at 408 you didn't take my guy uh, i didn't i didn't want to so no i took a dart throw at 48 it was gonna be my last pick and it was it was kind of just due to listening to a couple of podcasts today and i saw that uh, the guy that i took and i'll i'll, I'll mention that it, it's Andre carter the second out of army i'd listened to a couple of podcasts today who had talked about him being signed as an undrafted free agent and then i saw a tidbit from from tom palacero who mentioned that the the money that they had given him so that he signed with the vikings um and they gave him a forty thousand dollar signing bonus and a 300k base salary and it's one of the, the biggest commitments ever to an undrafted free agent his athletic like his athletic testing wasn't great. He's 6'7", 256, but his 40 was pretty unimpressive. His speed score was unimpressive. His burst score was unimpressive. He had a really good 86th percentile uh, agility score. But with that frame at 6'7", and weighing in at 256, the Army has a complete different fitness program to what D1 colleges require. So his physical his physical requirements in the Army would have been a lot different to what's required for, a, for an NFL football player. So I have... No doubt that he can, uh, he can definitely chuck the weight on, and it's just you can do a lot of things. You can train a lot of things. You can't train size. Six seven, uh, nearly thirty-three and a half inch arms. He's just he's going to be a menace on the outside for for a team that has been kind of missing one of those uh, with the inconsistencies from uh, Daniel Hunter's play. Zadarius Smith was apparently on his way out the door but he's still there at the moment, but they were looking at getting rid of him. And then I remember you know, the throwback to when Daniel Hunter used to be on one side and Everson Griffin was the one wreaking havoc on the other side of that uh, that edge. So I think just as a rotational guy, as a dart throw in the fourth round, I, I really would love to see how he plays out.
1: Yeah, I, I think Andre Carter spending a year or two in the Vikings weight room is going to do wonders for his ability to play at the NFL level. With my final pick of the draft at the 4-9, I really just wanted to draft a player that I believed is talented. And kind of like I said earlier, I'm not too interested in getting immediate production. I just wanted to get players that I believe can contribute to my team at some point and have that high-end upside to be an elite talent. And I believe that Brian Branch, the safety cornerback, whatever you want to call him, that got drafted to the Detroit Lions in the second round, I really do believe that he has that upside. It looks a little murky for him right now. Chauncey Gardner-Johnson... Uh, They've got two safeties there as well. It's, It's an interesting situation because it's hard to project who is going to be the next guy up, who's going to get the work. But whenever that does happen, I know CGJ is only on a one year deal. Whenever Branch does get the work, I have to imagine that he's going to be the kind of DB that you want to put in your starting lineup on a regular basis.
2: Yeah, just uh, you hit the nail on the head there, Evan. One of the uh, it's, a, it's a minor point, but one of the things I like about Branch is that he just doesn't miss tackles. You know, we kind of saw some some otherworldly production last year from Jaquan Briska and and Jalen Petrid, but they missed they missed a bunch of opportunities to put up even better stats than they had. Branch is not that kind of player. He's gonna uh, he's gonna he's gonna take everything that comes his way. Like you say, it just depends what happens because they've got a, a bit of a logjam at safety there and they sign a couple of corners as well. So, um, like you say, it might have to be a, a a year or maybe six months until we start to see more of what branch can do. But yeah, I'm with you on, on the name. He's a he's a talented guy.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna kinda spoil this next pick, Jeff. I'm gonna set it up for you, but uh Adatamua is is a really exciting player. So I would love to hear what you have to say for why he went at the four ten.
3: And I love that you said it for me. So um not only would his name be a, a game breaker in Scrabble, but uh, I think he's going to be a game breaker on the football field too. He just—he's kind of like one of those like metric guys. Like when you look at him, like he's just uh, two eighty. He moves like he shouldn't be able to move at 280. He had a a, a Ross score of forty six out of like sixteen hundred people that had defensive players at defensive ends that scored. So he's obviously an athletic freak. I think playing alongside Quidi Pay. Buckner, I think he's just going to do exceptionally well, and he's possibly going to have defensive tackle elgi- eligibility. And so if you have a, a league that plays that way,
4: I think he's kind of a cheat code at that spot. So, And for the 4'11", I went with Will McDonald. And partially because I want to know what Robert Sala knows that we don't know. I'm not sure, being such a similar player to Nolan Smith, why they took Will McDonald um, instead of Nolan Smith there. I find that very interesting. I don't think anybody would have expected Will McDonald to go before Nolan Smith. They really should have been reversed in the draft based on what uh, we heard pre-draft before they were taken. But uh, it's kind of a crowded room there in New York, but uh, I think he will get a chance. They drafted him at 117, so obviously they've got plans for him
5: uh, in some way. All right, and now for the correct answer for the last half of this draft here, Uh, Kalijah Kansi at the 412 for me, was an absolute dream. So I am I am a Kalijah Kansi stan. I loved what I saw from him coming out of pit. Uh, I despise the, I will call them lazy Aaron Donald comps. He is not Aaron Donald. Yes, he went to pit. He's undersized for a D tackle. He ran really fast. He, he chugged along great. It's, it's not that, right? For me, it's this guy has probably some of the best bursts I've ever seen out of an interior defender, and he used it consistently to just win rep after rep, and was a phenomenal pass rusher. Uh, it showed out with his the highest rated PFF grade of any uh, interior uh, edge defender for pass rush grade, and he landed in one of the perfect spots to continue that moving forward. For him, he's got Vitavea alongside of him as a true nose tackle to help ensure that he can line up in one-on-one matchups and win with that burst time and time again. So Kalija Cansey, D-tackle required, obviously great, even in D line specific leagues, I'm still I'm still all aboard the Canty train.
0: I, I agree with you with the lazy uh take on the Aaron Donald reference. Because the one that I saw thrown about that I actually kind of preferred was Jeffrey Simmons. Just with with the explosion off the line and they were they would like I, I think he's a lot smaller than Simmons because I think Simmons is uh is a couple inches taller. But the thing that scared me about Cancy is uh, when they were talking about his his landing spots and stuff and when i say scare i don't mean scares and scared me off of him i mean sort of scared me as uh someone whose team didn't draft him it's it's if he's put beside like someone like you mentioned with like viva another landing spot that they mentioned was possibly new york working beside Quinnen. like if he's if he's allowed to operate in those one-on-one situations he's he's just gonna blow past the guard he's gonna blow past whoever they put in front of him in those one-on-ones and your quarterback's going to be in the process of handing the ball to the running back when he's got 280 pounds worth of just missile hitting him in the back. And it just, uh, it, it. I'm just glad he's landed in the NFC, to be honest with you. And hopefully it'll only be on the uh, the occasional like, rotation that, that Baltimore's going to have to face him because he's just terrifying.
2: Yeah, on that point, you guys do know Greg Gaines is going to ruin all your fancy hopes and dreams, don't you?
0: oh that's a good one
2: that's a good completely one undeserving, greg Gaines. he's gonna spoil your fun totally
1: just like a robinson to the giants is gonna absolutely ruin everything with uh dexter lawrence and leonard williams i want to close this episode out real quick and give a shout out to all these guys we've got like four different time zones covered here it's hard to put something together like this without a lot of collaboration from everyone here. So these guys, as awesome as they are for contributing to this specific episode, have also all contributed to the IDP show Draft Kit. Even Eric, with the sheer number of best ball drafts that he has participated in, has absolutely contributed to the ADP there, uh, especially helping with my KJ Wright Erasure campaign. So I'm, I'm super stoked that we got to put this one together, and I do want to also give a quick shout out to all the guys here helping out. So Obviously you guys can find me on Twitter at IDP Evan. You guys can find Jake on Twitter at Jake Colhagen. You can find Jace on Twitter at Jace Abbey. You can find Jeff on Twitter at Boobam131. You can find Eric on Twitter at Eric Harms44. And you can find Aaron on Twitter at IDP Show Oz. So listeners, Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Again, if you want to check out the IDP show draft kit, you can find it on theidpshow.com. It is the ultimate resource for anything IDP related. And I am more than confident saying that, having seen what the resources are and the amazing work that all of these guys have put in. So thank you so much for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next episode. But until then, peace out.
0: This was the IDP After Show.